Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. I am John Schmelk, joined by Lance Meadow. The phone number for you is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants chat on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us that way, you certainly can. Lance, first time we're on a Monday together this year, man. How are you? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Yeah, it has been some time. I've usually been with Paul on this day, but it's always nice to mix things up. Yeah, Paul and I doing a switcheroo. He will be with Howard tomorrow. My kid is a half day, so from school, which they just randomly do in November for no reason these days. So um, I'm sure I, she'll take him when she can get him. Oh, she, she tells me. She'll take yes. him, but the parents won't. Big difference. Well, Yes, if he only had more influence on the school schedule. Yes, absolutely. And the Giants will certainly take their victory lands yesterday over the Houston Texans, 24-16, to another one-score win. The Giants now improved to 7-1 and one in one-score games this season. And look, I know people saying, oh, you know, it's an ugly win. I don't, Lance, look, it doesn't matter. The Giants, for only the third time this year, were favored in a game. I think it's one of the teams in the NFL you can say the Giants are certainly more talented than when you take it in totality on both sides of the ball. And they took care of business after an ugly first half where they did not play good football. They played well in the second half, two 70-plus yard touchdown drives, and they walk away with a 24-16 victory in a game the team should have won, and they take care of business, and they do win. Yeah, they were the better team on paper, no matter how you want to spin it, and you should always find a way to win a game like that. As far as what stood out to me, clearly you said the offensive turnaround in the second half. They ran the ball effectively. Those two drives to start the second half were key. But I really think it was the red zone defense because I go back and I look at the fact that the Texans, John, had six red zone opportunities. And normally, if you tell a coaching staff, you can get six possessions where you go inside the opposing 20-yard line. I think you'll gladly sign up for that. And then in all likelihood... You probably feel good about your chances of maybe walking away with at least two, maybe three touchdowns, 50% conversion rate. You'd maybe like your chances, and the Giants only gave up one touchdown. Everything else, if anything, was a field goal. So that was huge because, to your point, if people want to label this as an ugly win, the Giants didn't run away with things. They didn't clobber the Texans. They didn't dominate them. That game was still very much up for grabs in the fourth quarter with the way the Texans were moving the ball, especially through the air. I thought Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins gave them a significant lift, but they got careless with the ball and they turned it over in the red zone. The Dane Belton interception, the forced fumble on Damian Pierce by Leonard Williams. I mean, those were two huge developments because if you go back in the game, John, and even if you want to give Houston a field goal under those hypothetical scenarios, who the hell knows how that game plays out? I mean, there's so many different variables. So the fact that they made sure that a bulk of those red zone possessions were empty possessions yeah. or lost possessions, if you want to word them that way, that to me, that's the X factor as to why they were able to put their stamp on this game. No, Lance, absolutely. Look, and, I, and I'll be generous. I'll throw out that last red zone opportunity because the Giants were in prevent defense. Sure, that's up fair. Two scores. Yeah. So I'll call it one for five. Right? Still, say it's still impressive, touchdown? though. Exactly. Yeah. Still impressive, 100%. And those two empty possessions where they came up with no scores, to your point, uh, were essential. 
And when you're playing a team like the Texans, and the Texans, look, they're going to play a lot like the Giants, right? They want to run the ball. They don't want to pass it a ton. So if they get into the red zone and they come in with zero points, that's really going to hurt them. And this is a pattern the Giants defense has had all year now, Lance. And, you know, you look at it. They're only ranked 18th in terms of yards allowed per game at 350. But if you look at their points per game total, they are ninth at only 19.2 points per game. And the answer why is easy. They're the second-best red zone defense in the league at 38%, second-best team on third downs at 32.7%. And again, the Texans in this game just 3 of 10 on third down. So, this, and they weren't a good team coming in to begin with on correct. third down. And look, yeah. and, and look, the Giants have played some teams this year that have struggled offensively when the Giants have faced them. I'm sure that has something to do with the numbers, but don't care. You can only play the teams that are on your schedule, and the Giants have done a great job playing situational football on defense where they've been able to come away um, in those situations, get off the field on third down, prevent teams from scoring touchdowns in the red zone, and that's how they've won games. And now, Lance, lo and behold, you look at it, the Giants are sixth in the league in turnover differential, plus four, tied with the Seahawks. So you put all those things together, the defense, though it has given up yards and to your point, the Texans actually outgained the Giants by 20 yards in this game, 387 to 367. But when you make those big plays when it matters most, that's how you keep points off the board, and that's how you win football games. Well, it goes back to, I bring this up all the time, time of possession is a great number. If you don't equate it to points, it doesn't mean anything. Yardage is a great number, as you just brought up. But if you don't transfer that to points, then it holds very little weight. And that's what the Texans are saying to themselves. I mean, I was listening to Lovey Smith's press conference after the game, and he was pressed upon, you know, why can't you guys finish games? Because that's been their storyline. That's been their Achilles heel. Complete opposite of the Giants. The Giants find ways to finish games. The Texans can't do that. They can't get out of their own way. And it's to the point of when the opposition knocks on the door of the end zone, the Giants make stops. When the Giants need to cap off a drive, they've been successful in at least walking away with something to show for that, especially, once again, those two early drives in the second half. And that's where yardage may not look pretty all the time, but once again, you're at least cashing in on it. And I think that's exactly what the Giants did because you were reading over the red zone percentage. You know, sometimes I think it's even more effective to throw out the actual numbers that get you to 38%. So opponents have had 34 red zone possessions. They've only walked away with 13 touchdowns. That's a lot of red zone possessions. You do the math, 34 in nine games, but in nine games, you've only allowed 13 touchdowns. Lance, do you have how many of those possessions the opponent scored no points? I do not have that. That I do not have the breakdown of. I I just have the total volume. Yeah. Yeah, but, because obviously giving up field goals is good, but coming away with zero, and I feel like oh, the it's Giants even yeah. have probably had at least four or five red zone takeaways this year. I'm going to see if I can find that number. Well, off the top of my head, I brought this up, I think, on the postgame show yesterday. Jacksonville, Travis Etienne fumbles the ball in the red zone, yeah. so there's one right there. That's a good one. That popped out to me because, you know, once again, that was another game that Wait, came down to a yard. Titans, didn't they run the Wildcat in the red zone when they fumbled the ball? That was a red zone play, No trying to remember if that was in the red zone. That I'd have to look up. You may be right. I don't remember where on the field they were in terms of coughing up that football. I'm going to try to find red zone takeaways. I don't know if I can sort that, but I'm going to try to find it. They should have a separated statistic for that because that's key. You know, it's one thing to take away the ball. It's another thing to do it when, once again, the opposition is threatening you. The Giants, I feel like they've had a lot of opportunistic plays with their back against the wall, and that has been significant. That's how you win one-score games, okay? You don't play, John, you don't play eight one-score games out of nine contests and win the bulk of them unless you are getting those type of plays when, once again, the team you're going up against is threatening you or putting you in a very precarious spot. That has been a huge difference maker. They don't make those plays. It's what we talk about on every Monday show. We always talk about there's about five or six plays in every single game that probably define the outcome. So you look at this game. We brought up the fumble recovery. We brought up the interception, the Darius Slade and explosive play, which I'm sure we'll get into you pick two more plays out. I mean, that's the ball game. If those things don't happen with the way the Texans were moving the ball up and down the field, this score is not nearly as comfortable at the end of the fourth quarter. Yeah, no, no question about it. I'm with you. Let's jump over to the offense. Actually, one more thing on defense. 
Dexter Lawrence is turning into a legitimate all-pro defensive tackle, Lance. He was all over the field in this game. He had a couple good plays against the run. He had a batted pass at the line of scrimmage. Uh, I believe, according to the official stats, he had four quarterback hits and one sack. It seemed like it was more than they that. Actually, I believe they gave him five quarterback oh, five hits. Qu- that's what I saw. Right. I think yeah. that sounds about well, right, honestly. Them, so. Well, the problem, honestly, my issue with these box score stats, you know they count the sack as also as a quarterback hit? Yep. Which which I don't like. If if it's a sack, it should be separate than the quarterback hits, right? Why are they all included? Anyway, that's just my little pet peeve on that whole thing. Understandable. But for me, he has been moved to nose tackle more prominently in their quote-unquote 3-4 base scheme. And Dan Questenberry in the first half and the first part of the second half tried to block that guy one-on-one, and he had no chance. I mean, you're talking about Scott Questenberry. Oh, yeah, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Scott, yeah. yeah, Scott Questenberry. Sorry, not Dan. Um, and he marched him back into the backfield multiple times in the game. Then late in the game, they tried to put guards on him. He drew two holding penalties, one of which I believe took away a touchdown throw to uh, Brandon Cooks on the Correct. left sideline. Yep. And he was just so impactful. And to me, I know we kind of did our poll before the year on who the Giants' defensive MVP was going to be. I don't think anyone of, any one of us selected Dexter Lawrence, but it's hard to make the arguments anyone but him based on where we are right now. Yeah, he has been consistent, John. That's what you're hitting on. Every single game we're talking about something Dexter Lawrence did. The Packers game, he has that sack on Aaron Rodgers that takes them out of field goal range and forces them to punt the football. That was a huge turning point. You look at the plays that he's been involved in on fourth and one stops or third and short stops. Then, of course, the sacks. He's got a career high in sacks already. He has five. Four was his previous high, and we have a boatload of games still to go. The disruptive plays have stood out. It's one thing when you talk about Dexter Lawrence in the past, maybe you'd say, all right, there are four or five plays that stand out over the course of a season. There's one or two plays in every single game this year. We probably could highlight, if we really peeled back the layers of every single game, they've played nine games, probably could find 18 plays, John, easily, that Dexter Lawrence has been involved in. And the other thing that I don't think any of us would have suggested at the beginning of the season, when it all comes down to things, is it possible that Dexter Lawrence was going to lead the team in sacks? Well, with the way that things are playing out, he very well could finish at that degree. So I think it says a boatload about what he's been able to accomplish, the work he's put in. I also think... Andre Patterson has made a significant impact in his development. And Wink, both of them. And no, Wink, Wink too. You're sure. Yeah, sure. But the reason why I bring up Patterson is, if you remember, John, there was something that Patterson brought up a few weeks ago when he spoke with the media, and somebody asked, well, why are you getting things out of Dexter that maybe other coaches haven't? And he says, hands. The way that he's teaching him to use his hands and be persistent and use them in a specific way as a means of leverage is a big reason why he's been effective, specifically, I want to say, in getting after the quarterback. And I thought that was interesting. Remember, Patterson's also worked with a lot of good interior defensive linemen going back to his days with the Vikings. So he's got a pretty good track record in that department. But sometimes these little subtle things that a coach could pick up on can take a player to the next level. And I think the combination of him and, of course, Wink has certainly been extremely beneficial for Dexter Lawrence. Yeah, no question about it. All right, let's jump over to the offensive side of the ball here, Lance. Uh, very quickly, before we get to your calls, fans are excited, 201-939-4513. And we'll get to it, but I feel like so many people have made such a big deal, and rightfully so. Saquon Barkley, 35 rushes, 152 yards, did a great job under the ball, and it was consistent. That's great. But when you break this down, here's the thing that I walk away with here, Lance. The Giants, finally, and I think it's the most they've had in one game this year, Three pass plays of 25-plus yards in this game. Every single Giants touchdown drive contained one of those three plays. Explosive plays. And look, they had a Saquon had one run of 25-plus yards. They did not score on that drive. So I can make the argument, even though Daniel Jones just passed the ball 17 times, if not for those three explosive plays, one, of course, uh, to Darius Slayton, went for a touchdown itself. The other one was that shallow cross to, to, to Slayton where no defender even bothered to look at him or cover him. Wide open. That went, He was so open. 36 yards. And then you had to pass over the middle to Isaiah Hodgins for 26 yards. The Giants, remember, they only scored three touchdowns in the game. All three of those plays on different drives eventually led to touchdowns. And 
except for the throw to Hodgins, which was a 20-plus yard throw, or I think that was like just inside 20 yards. The other ones were just catching runs. It wasn't anything spectacular by Daniel Jones. It was an easy throw on a shallow cross to Slayton over the middle where no one was near him. And the other one was a check down to Slayton when he's getting pressured and he kind of got hit as he threw it on a third down play. And Slayton, after a poor attempt at a tackle by Jalen Petrie, turns it upfield, turns on the afterburners, and runs for a touchdown. So, you know, we've been asking for this receiver group to make plays above the X's and O's. Well, you would two there by Slayton, two short passes turning into long gains that really, in the end, was a big difference to the Giants winning this football game. It goes back to the Tennessee game, which you were referencing earlier. When you look at how they scored all their touchdowns in that game, the common element, again, was explosive plays. I'm not saying it was all through the air. Clearly, Sterling Shepard's touchdown was one of them, but the only way they were going to get into the end zone was a big chunk play, and that reminded me of what you were talking about in terms of what happened yesterday. So I don't think that's necessarily a surprise based on what we've seen track record-wise this season. The other thing with respect to Isaiah Hodgins is the big theme from yesterday's game was these unsung heroes, as I like to call them, guys that either were promoted from the practice squad, haven't spent much time with the team, and stepped up. The three that come to mind, Hodgins you referenced, he had two catches for 41 yards, including the 26-yarder. Lawrence Cager gets his first career touchdown on the first scoring drive for the Giants, and then Jason Pinnock gets one and a half sacks. So two guys, Dane Belton and Pinnock, who had to replace Xavier McKinney, the two of them come up with significant plays. Pinnock had the sack that led to a 10-yard loss on Davis Mills, and then Belton, of course, had the interception in the end zone. This is something else we've seen nonstop this year. Players that have not been here for a very long time being coached up, understanding what they need to do, and making an immediate impact. Another big way that you win a lot of one-score games. It's not just, once again, the big splash players. It's the complementary pieces. A lot of complementary players came up and made specific plays, both on offense and defense. And when I say specific plays, I'm talking about game-changing plays, John. I'm not just talking about, you know, a guy gets a five-yard run or he helps make a key stop as part of a gang tackle. That was also, I think, something that really stood out from the win over Houston. Yeah, and look— Slayton is turning into their de facto number one big play receiver. Yep. I mean, I think if someone would have tried to convince us of that, Lance, at the end of August, we probably would have laughed up and laughed at them and hung up the phone. I mean, I got to be honest with you. Like, the fact that this is happening based on where we were at the end of camp is pretty amazing. I mean— well, even in the early stages of the season yeah. where he was barely playing, too. Yeah. He might, was, yeah. was he ever an active for a game? I don't think Yeah, he, I think week one he, he was, was active, right? if memory serves me so, correctly. I, mean, I think he was a healthy scratch. It's amazing. I mean, it's really unbelievable. And to Darius Slayton's credit, through you know, it looked like he possibly wasn't even going to be on the roster. He stuck with it. And, you know, he still has some issues bobbling the ball, even on his long touchdown catch. There was a bobble in there. He's got to clean that up. But he's... Played really, really well, and the Giants have needed him because he's their one guy that really has you know big play potential uh, through the pass game, and he's really given that to the Giants in a way that they've needed. But those plays might not have been available if not for the Giants' run game, Lance, because once again, you know it was impressive. They ran it 47 times in this game, 35 from Barkley. Daniel Jones had just one design running play, a quarterback sneak. He didn't hold it on a read option once the entire game. Matt Brader ran it six times. Wanda Robinson had a uh, ill-conceived five-yard loss on a rush. Um, but what impressed me about Barkley in this game, Lance, it was a workmanlike game. I mentioned it. He had one run of 25-plus yards and only one run of 15-plus yards. So this was a lot of five yards, six yards, four yards, three yards, seven yards, eight yards, five yards. And he kind of just took what was there. There weren't a lot of spectacular force-missed tackles, making guys missed. He got up in there, got the yards, moved the pile a little bit, and he just did a really good job of gaining little by little to keep the Giants' offense, for the most part, on schedule. And I'm not sure that Barkley could have done that in any of the last two or three years because the Giants' offensive line wasn't giving him the opportunity to do that. So I think you have to tip your cap uh, to the Giants' offensive line for doing a really good job with that. And Barkley only had five runs in this game, Lance. I looked it up. For negative or no yards. And those went for a total of just minus five yards. 
When you're carrying it 35 times and you only have five carries for negative five yards as negative runs or runs for zero yards, that's a really, really good ratio. Yeah, I mean, I have all the breakdown of the runs. Really, it was negative five because I'm seeing two negative twos on top of the negative five. I'm not trying to downgrade his performance, but I thought it may have been more than negative five total yards in terms of some of the negative runs. But PFF tracked it as negative five. I didn't do it manually. I looked at what Pro Football oh, okay. numbers were. They, gotcha. They had it at minus five. They had minus five. Okay, I'm, mm-hmm. I'd be curious how they had it at minus five because if you do the math, I'm seeing at least minus nine before we start taking into consideration some of his runs for no gain. But the larger point is, which is what you said, small percentage of negative runs, and that was the key. And that has been a theme, John, throughout the season, I would say. Even if you break down everybody's performances from start to finish, they have run the ball high volume, very few negative runs. And that's something that has been missing in previous years. Who cares if you get one-yard runs or two-yard runs? It's better to face a second and eight than a second and ten. It's better to face a third and five than a third and seven. And those little things, to me, are making a significant difference. So that was one thing that jumped out. I think the other thing in conjunction with the offensive line that you were pointing out was the fact that now that you have players that are healthy who were penciled in to be starters, they have now served as tight ends and extra offensive linemen. And we saw the usage of Nick Gates. We saw the usage of Jack Anderson. I know he picked up the false start penalty, which proved to be costly. And you Matt also... Parrott too. Matt Parrott, yeah. So you're looking at the Giants coaching staff saying, well, if we got these guys healthy and we can't necessarily start them, might as well use them, especially with Bellinger hurt at tight end. Heck, put six or seven offensive linemen out there and see what could happen. And I think the Houston Texans had a problem with that. And teams, if they don't have big personnel on the field... You're going to tell me the Giants wouldn't like to see a linebacker matched up with Nick Gates or a secondary player? You'll take that advantage for New York. And they absolutely just wore down that Texans defense as a result with all of that big personnel. So that's a luxury that the Giants are going to be able to work with now in the second half of the season, especially when they'll have Shane Lemieux in the mix too. We're talking about three healthy offensive linemen that were not in the equation in the first half of the season. You don't have to start them, but you can still find ways to get them out on the field. And that, you figure, should help the rushing attack overall so that even when maybe they're not having those 25-plus yard runs that you were referencing. They're still able to get some of those smaller runs and stay in some manageable downs. Yeah, you're right. I don't know how they got the minus five yards PFF. Because he did yeah. have that one individual run for minus five. I'm not sure how they got Correct. That that's the I only reason. I wasn't no, questioning your math. I no, was just, I don't understand. I'd love to know how they figured that out because it's not adding up for me. No, and, that's it, why. and it doesn't. I'm, I was literally going through the individual runs on, on, on the uh, play-by-play while you were talking there. And yeah, I don't know where they got that. Unless they from. reference, is that perhaps the worst run that he had as opposed to the total of all the runs? Because his worst run was for negative five. Maybe that's what they're trying to classify it as. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I don't know. It is very thinking out loud. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how they got to that number, but I'm going to think, I'm gonna have to send that edit into now Salomon and Cytac because that was going up in my game review story Oh, okay. Today. <laughs> well, see, there we go. We're editing <laughs> yes, on the airwaves we're here. We're editing as we yes. go. Excellent. Okay. Uh, Daniel Jones, I thought, was very good, Lance. He made most of the throws he had to make. The only one was the, the bad miss he had was on the Slayton on that bootleg rollout where he kind of threw it behind him a little bit, yep. going towards the sideline. I mean, I don't think there was a pass that was ever even close to being in danger of being intercepted in this game. Not so, that I recall. No, I mean, I, I thought he did a solid job again. He was asked what he was asked. He did well what he was asked to do and kept the game in control, protected the ball. The Giants did not have a turnover in the game. That's how they were plus two when all was said and done. And overall, again, the offense did what it had to do, scored 24 points, which is kind of, you know, they're kind of consistently in that 17 to 24 area in almost every game this year. And it was enough to beat the Houston Texans. So, you know, you have to be happy here, Lance, at 7-2. and two. If you look at the math, and I know the coaches don't look, like to look too far away, but we can. You know, at 7-2, and two, given the lead they have on the rest of the conference, just in win-loss record, they pretty much have a three-game lead on anyone else that's going for that third wild card spot. Unless things go terribly wrong, and this is me knocking on wood, the final eight games of the year, they're in great position to make it into the playoffs this year. Yeah, they have some flexibility and comfort to a certain degree, but as you know, things could drastically change in the NFL. And remember, the true 
definition of this season is going to come when they have that four-game stretch within the division because they've only played one divisional game. And that's really going to see where this team is in in conjunction with the rest of the division, where you still have two games with Washington, you got another game with Dallas, and of course they're going to have two with Philly, but only one of the Philadelphia matchups comes in that four-game stretch. So that still is going to be a defining moment. As far as your point about protecting the football, fourth game this season where they've had no turnovers, you like that math, four out of nine. And the only other throw that I would reference, John, because we did not bring up Kenny Galladay, who did Um, not play much at all in the second half. A lot of people are going to say he had two drops. That first throw to Galladay was a bit wide. So that would be another throw that maybe you would say Daniel Jones wants back. And in fairness, if you listen to Daniel Jones's presser, he actually referenced the fact that he should have given Kenny Galladay a better pass. Yep. So he himself on the first one acknowledged that on, on the, the first, first one I'm yes. talking about. Yeah. The, well, the second one I mean went right through Galladay's hands. It's hard to spin that or look at that from a different angle. But the first one you could argue. I know a lot of people say, well, Galladay could have made a better effort. That's fine. But in fairness, even if he made a better effort, it still would have been very difficult for him to haul that in. No, that wasn't on him. That wasn't on yeah. him. Hundred percent. I agree with you on that. All right, 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. Other stuff to talk about in the game, but I'll make sure uh, we get to your calls here. We can obviously talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. The John Soto Podcast, make sure you go and subscribe. The podcast features a rapid reaction right after each game with one of our analysts. Yesterday, it was Paul Dottino and Howard Cross. And episode midweek features an interview with a national analyst trying to grab Greg Olson this week from Fox. We'll see if that works out. We do have the A crew, by the way, Lance, in the game this week. You wouldn't figure Giants-Lions, but it's Burkhart um, and Olsen. And um, oh, I'm the sideline reporter is escaping my purview. Er- Aaron Andrews. Thank you, Aaron Andrews. Andrews. Thank you. Appreciate it. And then a game preview featuring a long-form interview with a current Giants player. Last week was Jalen Smith, Bob Papa with Brian Damon, and then Lance and Paul have an opponent preview with somebody that covers a Giants opponent each week. Search for the Giants on a podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen on the Giants app or at Giants.com slash podcast. By the way, just real quickly, because when you said the A-team, I was like, that's interesting. Fox has some slim pickings. No, they do. I look too. (laughs) So that would explain, because when you said that, I was like, really? I didn't think you'd circle Lions-Giants at the beginning of the season. There ain't much else there, dude. It's understandable why they chose Lions-Giants. I think, are there six teams on by this week? Is that why? In terms of volume, no, four teams. It's four teams on by this week. I think yeah. week 14, there's another six teams. 14 is the high volume one, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. All right, let's get to the calls and go to Big Ed in Maryland to lead us off. What's going on, Big Ed? What's up, Big John and Big Lance? That's how we like to do it. How are you, man? Always a wonderful thing after one uh, Monday win. Ah, doesn't it feel great, guys? Yeah, it does. Oh, my gosh, I'll tell you. Uh, I'm so happy. I'm just over-exuberant with, with excitement and happiness. Okay. All I can think of, pretty much, to sum it up, yesterday, we got to tighten up on T. We keep allowing stuff to take place that shouldn't. Like, he shouldn't have caught that touchdown fast. A role played off of him and gave him too much space for the ball to be easily thrown. You mean the one that cooks that got called back you're talking about? I think he's talking about the Nico Collins one. Is that? Yeah, the Nico Collins one. He caught that that joint on the corner, man. It was was nice because he got burnt. It was like he he played a bad coverage. Hey, look, Big Ed, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Big Ed. The Giants put their corners in one man-on-man coverage against good wide receivers. They're going to get beat sometimes. That's just the way they play. You're going to have – and look, I, I, I'm going to have a hard time saying anything bad about Fabian Moreau the way he's played this year 
Because, look, I, I think he's gotten away with a couple of defensive pass interference penalties that haven't been called. But for the most part, he's been fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I, now I will give him, I'm commending him for also, man. He has been playing good. You know, he's been helped. He has helped him. Corey Holmes has helped. Man, just it's been helpful. And we're going to need that help going down these, especially these next two games. We just, I'm just looking at it from what I see. Playing Detroit and definitely playing on Dallas and Thanksgiving, we got to tighten up. Especially sure. get ready to go into next month. We got to tighten up. You know it. Because as we get closer to the end of the season, we're getting ready to get ready. We're going to be playoff ready. And I'm, in, I'm enthused, overly, the biggest thing of all, I'm just jacked up about our coach, man. I love him, man. No fear at all. Let these guys know, man, you screw up, you screw up, but fix it. Don't keep letting stuff be a mess. <laughs> oh, my gosh, guys. Oh well, they made a lot of adjustments this season, and once again, it, it goes mm-hmm. back to what we talked about at the beginning, all of these players that are shuffling in and out of the lineup, and they're producing. So it's not mm-hmm. as if you're just bringing in a body. You're bringing in somebody that understands what you need out of them, and they're coming through. I think that has been extremely impressive, and it speaks volumes and shows very highly on what the coaching staff, not just Brian Dable, but what everybody else on the staff has been able to do. You had Lawrence Cager yesterday, you know, talking about the tight ends coach, Andy Bischoff, and how he stayed with Mm -hmm. him later beyond the bye week to just make sure that Mm -hmm. he had a better feel of what the scheme was all about. So, you know, it's the coaching staff Mm -hmm. and the players. It's the combination of both. That's why these guys have been able to have some success instantaneously. Mm -hmm. Wow, man. Yeah, you're right. I'm telling you guys, but here's the thing. Thibodeau got to come out. Hey, I got to tell you now, yeah, Thibodeau has to come out on that Thanksgiving game. That has to be his come-out game because the whole world will be watching. It'll be his moment to overtake the Lawrence Taylor of the defense. He can rename that defense after that game on Thanksgiving. He got to go out with the brain slamming for the performance. After that, man, we got the division. We'll beat Philly. We beat Dallas on Thanksgiving. We will be Philly. Love you guys, man. Hope to see y'all soon. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it down to the Dallas for that Thanksgiving game, but it will be great if I did. But, yep. I think I think it. Yep. Yeah, man. I'll talk to y'all soon. Thanks, man. Good stuff. I would worry about the Lions game this week first before we start worrying about Thanksgiving. I'll just say that. I will say the same thing every week. The Giants can win every game on their schedule. They can lose every game on their schedule. When and you play eight games by one score, it can easily go both ways. Correct. So play better. And, and look, I think Ed is right. And look, I want to start positive because they won a game coming out of the bye and they're seven and two. But look, Lance, Carl Banks said this on, on the air. So I'm going to just quote Carl. You're playing any other team but the Texans in that first half. You're probably down 14 points. Sure. They did not play very well. The defense did to start the game. But the offense gave away so many opportunities, whether it was a false start like you mentioned, things like that, where they just, you know, didn't take advantage of situations they put themselves in offensively. And if you're playing a better team, a better team can take advantage of those mistakes. So Big Ed's right. There are things to tighten up. I agree with that. And in terms of Kayvon Thibodeau, look, I do think as a pass rusher, it's been slow coming. I think we've seen some good plays in the run game from him and doing some other things that have been fundamentally sound. But the sacks haven't come yet. And, you know, against Dallas, he'll have a chance to go up against another rookie out there and Tyler Smith. So maybe he can turn it on and, and do well in that game. Did Thibodeau play in the Week 3 Dallas game, Lance, off the top of your head? Was yeah, he that was, that? I believe, his first game That was game his back. first game, right? Yes. But he was very limited. He only played something like 20 snaps Correct. So. They were on a pitch count. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, look, I think you'd like to have Thibodeau come out to give, you, give your team a little bit more of a consistent rusher off of the edge. You hope Aziz Ojolari is back coming up here, too. I think Ojolari is eligible to come back for the... I did this math before the buy, and now I forget what it was. I believe he got put on injured reserve before the Jacksonville game, if I'm not mistaken. So I think he has to miss the Lions game, and then he'll come back potentially for Dallas. I will double-check He that. was put on IR on October 22nd. Yeah, so, so that was right before the Jaguar that? game. That, that was so before he has the to Jaguars four game? games. He has to miss the Jaguars, Seahawks, Texans, and Lions. So okay, assuming, he, though, he's on schedule to return. Remember, some guys correct. may need a little bit more time And remember, yeah. you only activated the practice, and they're not going to have a full-speed practice that week. So Because well, there's a quick turnaround, and they're the road team, so Wednesday you could kiss goodbye. Correct. So as I think about it, Lance, I would probably not expect Ojolari back until the Washington game. 
I would agree with you. I, I think that's fair. Listen, there's always exceptions to the rule, but it's not okay. The window ends. Now you have to ramp the guy back up because he's not practicing. When you're on IR, you can't take part in practice. Exactly. So that's more of a reason why sometimes you see guys may need an additional week, and the fact that they don't play the following Sunday, they play on Thursday, it's probably going to put him in a tough spot yeah, they, unless they, they he's will, just made unbelievable inroads. There will not be a full-speed practice that week Yeah, in a short week. So he's not really going to be able to test that calf. So I can't imagine they'll put him out on the field without him being able to test his calf in a full-speed practice. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe you know they'll buck the trends there, but we'll see. I don't know. 201-939-4513. Hey, Giant fans, the Giants official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV, brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV is free on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV, and the Giants mobile app. Let's go to Rick in Tampa. He's up next. Hey, Rick. Hey, John and Lance. What's going on, guys? What's up? Happy happy Monday. I'm going to be my one call this week. Let me get a couple points in. But let me just clean up uh, uh, the housekeeping real quick on two things. The player that uh, Dable was yelling out, the lineman on the sideline, which he does every once in a while, which I love, was 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 who again? Jack Anderson. Yeah, he had the false start. Fall. And by the way, nobody talked about this, Lance. I'm not sure if you saw it either when you watched the replay. You know, they Gates lined up as a fullback on that yep. play. And right either at the same time or right after Jack Anderson flinched, Gates started to, like, lean forward and sway yep. in his stance. So he might have gotten nailed for a false start if Anderson didn't jump. Could have been a uh, tag team. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, okay. That was it. And then you did mention real quick – uh, the linemen, how we have them coming back, and that's such a great thing that we have the depth now. They are all able to stay on the team and on the bench and stuff, right? Nobody has to be, you know, sent down or anything. Like I always get confused. Well, like, they we may not these- have everybody active for a game. They're going to have to make some decisions. You can't have okay. 15 they, offensive they, linemen they, dress. <laughs> I mean. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. That's what I mean then. Okay, good. But they'll still be there. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, okay, great. Uh, uh, we got. We check a box, and if you get a chance to do the research on this, because the Giants have, and, and I, I, I remember it this way, have notoriously been bad team coming out of a bye week. I don't know in the last 10 years if you could run a stat on that. I, is it as bad as I remember it? Uh, because they've always seemed to – to do bad so we checked that box off because we came out and won the game so that is a huge plus and seven and two fourth best team in the in the whole nfl which is hard to believe yeah Rick, here's the thing too by the way just 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 fyi i don't usually look those stats up in terms of record after the bye because when you get a new coaching staff what happened in years past to me doesn't really mean anything you know what i'm saying Okay, okay, but they have been, though. Am I right there? Am I right thinking? It doesn't matter which coaching staff we've had. It, even with Coughlin, it was not good. So that's just me thinking in the last 10 years. If you did a check, I was curious. And, Rick, by the way, yeah, and, and Rick, by the way, the Giants right now have 10 active offensive linemen on their roster, and teams can carry 10, though when Lemieux gets back, when he eventually gets activated, he was you know designated to return, I can't imagine they'll carry 11. So they yeah. will probably end up letting one of these other guys go, whether that's a, you know, Devery Hamilton maybe or Jack Anderson. Someone like okay. that would probably end up going. Or um, being put on the practice squad, assuming they correct. clear waivers. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. You, you, you have to get released, though, before you sure. get put on the practice yeah. squad. But all I'm saying okay. is they could return, I guess. They may not yes. necessarily fully cut ties that is with the player. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now my three technical points, and you can take it off the air, your answers – one, and I'm super happy. It is a, I'm ecstatic of how well they're playing. But uh, are you any concerned? Three points, and then, and then you can answer them. Um, any concern, Barkley, the amount of carries that he's had this year? Okay, that's the first one. He's had for this season or long term? What's the concern? No, no, for this, for, for this season. For no, this season. I wouldn't okay. say for this season. Rick, just real quickly, he hasn't really played much in two or three years. I think he's got plenty of tread yeah, on the tire. I would not worry about it this year. But to Lance's point, wear and tear down the road, sure, that's always a factor. Okay, that's that. Uh, okay, uh, the defense. Uh, I'm more concerned that second half. What, what do you uh, uh, give the reason that you think that they were just being shredded in the second half by uh, by Houston? Uh, I mean, 12 yard plays, 20 yard plays, all these things. So that is a, uh, where do you think that 
that came from? Is it just my, their minds were wandering or what? So that's that. And then the last one, and I'll leave it with you here, as I spent my whole Yankee season calling up and saying, Joey Gallo has to go first half of the season. I call him Joey Galladay. Has to get a. I mean, I don't want to see him on the team. I don't want to see him play another game. And a lot of fans feel the same way. And as a fan, I know you guys can't get caught up in this. I want just a simple yes or no from both of you. OBJ, yes on the team if we could get him or no on the team. And I'll leave it at that because as a fan, we've been talking about it all day. Thank you, Rick. And I was just okay. Appreciate it. Um, I, I'm, I'm a no on Odell. That's just me. Well, I'm a no from the standpoint of I've been saying this all season long. The internal options to me are the best options for the Giants. And do you really think Odell's going to come here and play for nothing? Do you think he's going to do a favor for the organization? Odell has come out and said that he wants to sign the long-term contract and be with this team for the rest of his career, and the Giants have no money. That's my point, yeah. So I don't understand how that adds up. So I think you combine both of those factors. It doesn't seem logical. From that standpoint, and I think they like guys like Isaiah Hodgins and Wondell Robinson coming back a few games ago. I think they want to stick with the development of some of these younger players. I never thought that they were of the mindset that one wide receiver alone is going to save this organization. As far as the last point about Galladay, he didn't play in the second half. So they made a change. And by they the way, felt for the fans somebody that, else could be more productive. And for the fans that don't know, real quick, Lens, before you continue... The wide receivers coach told them at halftime that they were making a change. So it's something that they made the decision and they told them. Well, but I guess the point is, John, they're not playing him for the sake of playing him. They're making changes if a guy doesn't seem to be productive. So whether he's on the roster or not, the only reason you would argue to not have him on the roster is if you feel they are going to bring in another wide receiver. But if we're saying that it's unlikely they're going to make a splash – then why would you then get rid of him to then have consequences and repercussions from a financial standpoint? Hey, Lance, there is one thing you can say about this coaching staff. They, and, you know, all coaches say this, and then it doesn't usually come to fruition. They really don't care how much money you make, yeah. how long you've been here, what your name is, whether you're the starter or not. They will take you in and out of the lineup based on performance or matchups at their discretion, and they'll tell the player, they'll explain it, and I think from what I can tell, they're good about that. So guys aren't blindsided. They don't get mad because they know what's going on. But there is no hesitation here to be like, nope, this week you're just not going to play. Okay. And and they don't let this, that stuff bother them. So to me, Gaudi was given a, a really good chance in the first half to you know come off the injury and show if he could help this team. It was not a great first half for him. He did not make any excuses for, for dropping that pass that you know basically hit him right in the chest. And until he shows them that, he can contribute and help the team win. I'll have to fight his way back in the playing time now. It's not going to be handed to him. And I think he understands that yeah. because of what you said, what Mike Groh told him at the half. But once again, I'm looking at it more from if your ideas will just cut ties with the guy, the coaching staff may not be worried about how much a guy is making, but I guarantee you Joe Shane at least needs to take that into oh, no. consideration. Oh, I'm sorry, Lance. Yeah, he's going to be on no, the No, no, I'm not saying you were year. insinuating that, For but sure. Shane, Shane is weighing the pros and cons from a financial perspective because he's not just thinking about the very small amount of money that he has to work with this season, he doesn't want to hurt himself for seasons to come. Oh, I mean, they, they literally could not cut him now if they wanted to. Exactly. Because the money would move up into this year's cap. They literally cannot afford it. Yep. So that is a non-starter option. So in the offseason, it becomes more malleable if they want to pursue that from a salary cap standpoint. But, yeah, I mean, just letting him go for the sake of letting him go. As for the second part of Rick's question on the defense, and look, this is something we've talked about with the defense a lot, Lance. And we really haven't seen them face a high-powered passing attack yet this year, except for the Seahawks. If you want to consider that a high-powered passing attack, I guess and you can. And Seattle had some success through the air as well. Correct. So I think one of the reasons that the Texans had more success in the second half, one, I think Damian Pierce started running the ball a little bit better. But frankly, the Texans started passing a little bit more on early downs. And I think you can have success passing on early downs against this Giants defense, right? And especially without Xavier McKinney out there. I think without, because if you pass on early downs, you're not going to see all those exotic Wink Martindale blitzes, right? He's not bringing those, you know, lining up with, you know, eight guys standing up at the line. You don't know who's coming. You're not getting those exotics on first and second down. 
but you will get him on third down, especially third and long. So if teams, if I was an opposing offensive coordinator, and again, I'm not, and these guys know a lot more than I do, I would try to attack more against the Giants' defense on first and second down through the air before Wink can throw some of that fancy stuff at you that, said, that tends to throw the passing game off a little bit. The other element that I would throw out there, and I think you were alluding to this earlier, in Wink's defense, he leaves corners out on an island, and guys are going to get beat. Yep. If it's you against Brandon Cooks, Brandon Cooks is a polished veteran. He's going to get the better of you. Nico Collins is a younger guy, but those are two speedsters. Same thing with Tyler Lockett and, and DK Metcalf. And Nico's 6'4", 230. I mean, he's a yeah. monster. So, I mean, that happens, and that's something to watch moving forward, especially as we get into divisional play, and maybe even a little bit next week, John, with Amon Ross St. Brown, okay, who's a very strong wide receiver. We'll see if Josh Reynolds plays. He's been out for the last few games, but the Lions have some intriguing wide receivers, and Jared Goff is probably going to test the waters, especially with the way that their defense is played. They know they have to move the ball through the air, and they have to go get get those explosive plays. So, yeah, we're going to see whether or not this secondary can hold up, but I think it's just a product of Wink's defense. He's not playing a lot of zone where he's telling the corners, don't worry, somebody's going to come to the rescue over the top. That doesn't happen all the time, very often. Yeah, no question about it. And look, you're going to get some very good wide receivers coming down the pike here. You mentioned Amon Ross St. Brown. He's coming down the pike. CeeDee Lamb's coming down the pike. And he had one, I think, does he still have the biggest wide receiver game against the Giants this year of any wide receiver? He might. In terms of yardage, it's close. He had, what, 88 yards against the Giants, I think, in week three? Well, I'll tell you right now, the most yard, oh, wide receiver. Well, Mark Andrews had the best receiving game, but he clearly is not a wide receiver. He's the only guy that's gone over 100 yards. Yeah, so I bet you CeeDee Lamb, as a wide receiver, probably has more yards than any of the wide receiver against the Giants, right? It's It's possible. I'd have to confirm that, but that sounds about right. Yeah, so you had CeeDee Lamb, and then Michael Gallup will be back for that game, too. He wasn't there when the Giants play him the first time. Then you get Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. Washington, for all their issues, actually have a pretty decent group of wide receivers. Curtis Samuel, too, is a very good wide receiver. Great point. Curtis Samuel as well. De'Ami Brown, if you want to count him. Then you know about the Eagles, right? They're running Devonta Smith out there, A.J. Brown out there. And if you don't think they're just going to throw it up to A.J. Brown when he's one-on-one with whomever's covering him because, again, he's a physical freak show, they're going to do it. So I think coming up here, Lance, in terms of consecutive games – this is probably the toughest stretch. And by the way, and then after, and then you have Justin Jefferson and Michael Pittman. And, and Thielen. Then, yeah, yeah, and Thielen too. So this is the final eight games are by far more difficult from a wide receiver perspective than anything this Giants defensive backfield has seen so far this year, except for the Seattle game with Metcalf and Lockett. But this is a tough group coming up here. So I think... It'll be interesting to see how this giant defense adjusts to some more high-powered wide receiver groups. Yeah, and that's why I think we're highlighting that. Opponents matter. Competition matters because it changes game plan and strategy. What I'm curious, the teams that are coming up, because what did we talk about? The red zone defense has made up for some of those explosive plays. I'm just looking out of curiosity, where some of these upcoming opponents rank in terms of red zone efficiency. Oh, Lance, I looked it up. Giants have three red zone takeaways, by the way. Three. Oh, you looked it up? Okay, yeah, three. three. Mm-hmm. So, hey, tied, you look at... T- tied for third most in the league. The Chiefs and the Eagles have four. Those are the only two teams with more. Well, if you look at the fact that they have 12 total takeaways, that means a quarter of yep. their takeaways have come in the red zone. Pretty so good. That's Yeah, absolutely. And here's another thing that's interesting. I'm looking at the top 10 teams in the NFL in red zone efficiency. You know what? Let's go slightly out of the top 10 because Minnesota is 11th. A lot of teams coming up, John, much better than who they've seen in terms of finishing in the red zone. You have Philadelphia's fourth. Detroit next week is fifth. Dallas is seventh. Wow. Okay. And Minnesota is 11th. So that's more of a reason why upcoming schedule, good indication of A, the cornerbacks against the wide receivers, and B, does the red zone defense hold up against opponents that have been far more efficient? 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. Let's go to Ben in Morristown. He's up next. Hey, Ben. Hey, guys. Uh, it was good to watch this game and see the Giants take care of business. It was the, the second game in the season in which you said 
uh, you know, the Giants should win. It was this game and and uh, in Chicago, so it, it was it was workmanlike. It was it was good, and I you know watching the game, never in the game where you where you worried that okay, well it's going to get out of hands, right? They they they, they kept the uh, the opponents in front of them, and and, and uh, yeah, they gave up some yards, but I, I I do trust in Wink that he they were playing with the lead, so um, so they're playing soft to some extent. Um, from from the Giants' perspective, you you didn't you did say that that Mike Grobe uh, went up to Gale at halftime and, and said that they're benching him and they're going with Isaiah Hodgins at Hodgins Hodgins yeah yeah but but that just and you guys said some of this before that this is really a meritocracy. It's not really who you are or how much money you make. Um, that being said, um, Dable in the booking presser said that you know when they when they asked him at Gale, he basically said like, well, you know, let's take it week to week. How do you guys read that? Do you, do you think he's not going to be the starter at the X next week, or and 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 secondly, do you think at, at this point Gale is going to just say screw it and check out? Ben, for, I I read, I read it, Ben, that Brian Dable will never publicly criticize one of his players. I mean, I think that's what we've seen this year. You kind of figure out what these coaches are willing to do as you learn more about them. I mean, Brian David wouldn't even say anything remotely negative about one of his players breaking his hand in a bye week ATV accident. So he's right. not going to go out there and say any and, – and look, and he would have had every right to be annoyed at a player for doing that, right, during a bye week, and I think everyone would have understood that. But I think Brian Dable is a guy – that likes to keep things in house. Remember, he's he, he's from the Bill Belichick school in coaching, and I don't think he finds it useful to say a negative thing about a player in public. He would much rather say it to him privately, and he thinks you keep your players involved and bought in better that way than airing things publicly. Look, I don't know how Galladay is going to react to this. I think he's handled everything pretty darn professionally this year so far, as. Much as he's had a lack of production on the field, I think, uh, despite what some other people think, I think his effort, and I think he, I think it's there, and I think he cares. So for his own sake, I hope he doesn't check out because there's going to be other teams watching this tape where if he becomes available next offseason or the offseason after that, teams will be looking at that tape. So for his own sake, Ben, I sure hope he doesn't check yeah, out. Yeah, I, I mean, that's why I don't think players in general think like that way because I think they realize even if there's not a future on their current team, you don't want to then tarnish your reputation if you then have the opportunity to hit the market or go elsewhere. And I think Galladay realizes he wasn't very productive last year. It's carried over into this season. As John hit on, he probably had every reason to check out up to this point, right? You got the knee injury. You were in and out of the lineup before the injury. Remember, there were games where he played a lot, and then there were games where he was barely on the field. So he has every reason up until now to get irritated. I don't understand how one game would all of a sudden now push him over the cliff. So I wouldn't be overly concerned about that. I think the coaching staff's been up front with him. He understands the task at hand. And if he doesn't step up or he doesn't take advantage of either his small amount of snaps or not, the coaching staff's going to go in a different direction. They're going to give other players a chance who they believe could go out there and make plays for Daniel Jones. Who do you think starts at the X uh, against Detroit? Ooh. Gosh, yo, I almost want to just like start flipping coins or rolling dice. Like, would it, I'm serious. Like, would it surprise me if it was like Marcus Johnson? Nope. Would it surprise me if it was like David Sills? Nope. Would it surprise me if it was Isaiah Hodgins? Nope. Uh, Lance, do you, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, they've been moving guys in and out of the yep. lineup at the position so much. I have no idea. Well, there's been a lot of fluctuation, but I guess, Ben, and maybe I'm just really going in in terms of the term, I would not get caught up in who starts. It's about how many snaps a guy plays. Just because he's on the field for the very first play means he starts. Well, Lance, I'll ask you this. So, who, who do you think is going to be the th- – I figure Slayton and Wandell will have the most snaps next week, right? That's fine. Who do you think is going to have the third most snaps? I think Isaiah Hodgins is a very strong candidate to be third. I think I they think like him. Pro- I think you're probably right. Yeah, I agree I, I think – there's a reason they brought him in because he's got a history with Dable and Shane going to Buffalo. He made a lot of plays already in this last game yesterday. I would think if you ask me top three, Slade and Robinson and Hodgins right now, I think are in the driver's seat. Those are the three guys. Thanks, guys. Yep. I appreciate the call, Ben. Good stuff. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. 
The Walker Hayes for JCPenney Collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. One other thing I want to bring up here, 201-939-4513, Lance. Um, actually, I want to get to Scott first. Let's do Scott, then we'll circle back. Scott in New Mexico, you're up next. Scott, what's going on? Hey, guys. Uh, first of all, I, I was on with you, John, uh, with uh, Jonathan Casillas, I said, and I said, we really need to get an interior pass rush, which I thought demonstrated. Did you mention the play of Leonard Williams and how well he played uh, yesterday? Um, I, I Well, uh, we, we mentioned Lawrence because I thought he had a, a bigger impact than Leo, but I thought Leo played well as well. I thought, I thought he had a nice game, but I, I didn't think he had as much pass rush as Dexter had over the course of the game, not even close, to be honest with you. Right, but both of them had an impact in, in creating some havoc moving up the middle, which I thought was important. Sure, I mean, and one of, he's one a thing player. I take, yeah, one of the things I take umbrage with is you're saying that they had a little bit of an easy schedule, and really, when you look at it, going back to your point, John, each game is very hard, and they beat Tennessee. That you saw what happened to Dallas yesterday with Green Bay, who they beat, and they lost to Dallas. They beat Baltimore. Uh, so each game they play, every game they play is going to be a contest. And the team that they're going to play, Detroit, has won two games in a row. And they're no easy match either, and they were in a lot of their games, even Scott, though they don't Scott, have a great Scott, record. Scott, 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 what have I said? The Giants can win every That's game. That's what I'm getting at. Every game this week, of course. But that doesn't mean right. when you look at the so, – like, for example, if you just look at the winning percentage of the Giants' opponents this year – I haven't right. looked at where that ranks, Lance. I don't know if you have either. I guarantee, no, I, you, not, yeah. I guarantee it's in the bottom third or quarter of the league. It has to be. Right. But you do agree that each game is going to be its own sort of, uh, of entity and, and that it, it's no easy cakewalk no matter what the schedule is. Of course, uh, of, course of course, of course, right. of course, of course. Okay. Uh, one final question. Uh, we, everybody's been talking about Galladay. I believe the Giants owe him, thir- is it $13 million guaranteed this year? Uh I'm not sure if that figure is accurate or not, uh, but if they do, is he? If they don't use him, uh, what are the machinations for that? Is he a sort of a dead man walking? He doesn't go where. I mean, he's finished because it looks to me like they don't want to use him for whatever reasons. And, oh no, no, Scott, uh, hold on a second. They tried okay. to use him. They tried to use him yesterday. No, no, I'm not he saying they the tried to use him. Half. But they they didn't bring him back in the second half, obviously. Well, well, he, he, I mean, it's a production-oriented business, it's a Scott. It. And I, I agree with you. I'm yeah. not arguing the point. I'm yeah. just asking the question. Uh, if you have somebody that you've paid a ton of money to, and as you said, and rightly so, where are we going to go with him? And if he's not productive, what's the scenario for the offseason since they're going to have to pay him? As I said, I think it's $13 million guaranteed. And that was really my question, though. What do you do with a receiver like that? And I'll take your answers off here, guys. Thanks again. I mean, he sits on the roster, and he plays as much as the coaches want him to play, Lance. I don't yeah. know if there's any other answer besides that. Yeah, I mean, we talked about they have some options in the offseason, and they'll make those decisions when the time is appropriate. As far as now, you're not going to sacrifice cap space and hurt yourself. You can't do that. He hasn't been a healthy scratch yet, John. Okay. If he gets to the point where he's a healthy scratch, is there something to read into there? Yeah, I think there may be something to read into that. We haven't gotten to that point. Now, granted, he's been hurt, but I'm even talking about before he got hurt that he hasn't been producing. They didn't make him a healthy scratch. Darius Slayton was a healthy scratch in week one. Haven't seen Kenny Galladay go down that road. So until we get there, I don't know if there's really anything to say. I think that they'll continue to keep him active, assuming there's not that change that I just referred to. And... His snap counts, they're going to fluctuate. There's going to be games where maybe they feel in certain packages they could utilize him, and there's going to be other games where if Isaiah Hodgins outperforms him, Hodgins is going to stay on the field. It's as simple as that. I mean, look at Richie James. Richie James is another example. John, and I'm not talking about wide receiver. I'm talking about special teams. We saw Dory Jackson. We didn't bring this up yet. 
where he was handling the return game. Now, Richie James did see opportunities, but it's been more now of multiple players getting opportunities as opposed to previously it was the Richie James show. So there's another example. He came off a game in which he fumbled twice. They wanted to give a new look. They wanted to give another player an opportunity, and Adoree, for the most part, did a nice job. So they've proven that across the board. If they don't feel a player is stepping up and giving them the production that they desire, they will not hesitate in moving somebody into the mix. I think that has been well-documented, and that goes back to what you were talking about earlier, John, where you've heard coaching staffs, they get in front of a microphone, they say one thing and then maybe do the opposite. Things that have been preached publicly have been carried out, and I don't see why we need to then read into anything else because it's not like we have a variety of different behavior that we have to overanalyze at this point. And in the honor of saying what you mean and meaning what you say, and I purposely say this for the M is I don't want to take any calls on it. Call Paul and cross with this tomorrow. But, you know, unfortunately, it's already 128. We can't take any more calls. Uh, we had the story over the weekend, Lance, that the Giants at Saquon Barkley uh, got into contract negotiations over the bye. Joe Shane had stated uh, publicly the prior week that they would discuss contract extensions up until I think the Monday or the Tuesday, right before the, the game following the buy. And if they didn't work out, then they table everything to the end of the year. Um, so there were reports that they did in fact um, talk to Saquon about it. Saquon basically acknowledged that point in the post game interview with the press conference after the game uh, on Sunday. And I think the important thing to take out of this is that Saquon said, well, they made it clear to me. And by the way, the negotiations went, I'll paraphrase him, it's pretty clear that the Giants think very highly of him. So that tells me he was, you know, pretty happy with the way they were discussing him and, you know, what he's worth, et cetera, et cetera. And then he also said, I want to be a Giant for life. So I I think, again, there's still eight games to go and a lot can change in those eight games, Lance. We all know what can change. I'm not even going to bring it up because we all know what can happen. But it seems like there's interest both ways to having him be here long-term, and this will queue up three and a half months of phone calls about whether or not you should give a running back a second contract from January to March, which we're not going to get into now, please, because we'll have three months to do that when the games are over. But that it, it's a little bit of a preview for what Big Blue Kickoff Live is going to be talking about after the regular season, and hopefully a couple playoff games are over. Sure. Well, I mean, Daniel Jones's contract's going to be another one. You have a number of players that are scheduled to hit the free agent market, so we're going to have plenty to digest, but right now, with meaningful football games and more of the season left, I would rather invest my time and energy in breaking that down, because there's going to be a time and place for that. Just like I have no interest in discussing draft prospects until we get into the months leading up to the draft. Right now, let's enjoy, actually, what's remaining of the season. As far as the winning percentage, I brought up the NFL research notes. This is what lies ahead, just to give you an idea. John, okay. Now, I don't have the up-to-date ones because this included the Texans. So I'm telling you, if we remove the Texans, the winning percentage is going to be even higher. The remaining schedule entering Week 10, the Giants, the fourth hardest group of opponents, 587. But what I'm saying is it doesn't do it justice because that includes the Texans who were 1-6-1. and You remove Houston, I guarantee you when we see this entering Week 11, the Giants are going, to want to, are going to have one of the toughest remaining schedules coming up. And that's what matters. That's why I'm talking about that four-game stretch against the division. If people are worried about they're not getting enough credit, they're not getting enough due, well, once you get through that four-game stretch, we're going to learn an awful lot about where this team stands and whether or not you can continue to walk. The Giants, to me, they're walking that tightrope, okay? If you want to look at the circus analogy, they're on that tightrope, and the acrobats are doing their thing, okay? The tricks... They are being showcased every single week. They're finishing, but, you know, sometimes the acrobats, that's why they have the net underneath, right? It's that safety valve. Are you going to have to utilize that safety valve coming up, or are you going to still continue to walk that tightrope? We'll see. But that's going to be a very tough test here upcoming in the next few games. That's a good nugget, Lance. Absolutely. Good good nugget to close the show. And by the way, folks, for a little inside how we produce and figure out how we want to do in these shows, if we do something at the end of the show, probably we don't want to take calls on it. So that's why I put the Saquon thing at the end. (laughs) (laughs) 
that is a window into the mind of John Schmelk. I was going to say, listen, I'm separating myself from that commentary. I'll leave you out on an island for that one. Hey, in fairness, Lance, you know if I brought that up at the start of the show, we were going to get calls on that instead of the oh, game. Oh, sure. And both of us yeah. wanted to talk about the game today. Again, 100. And again, if you guys want to call about that later in the week, that's fine. But today should be game reaction coming off of a win. So I'm just to make setting sure it up today. for tomorrow with Paul and Howard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. That's I a layup line. Absolutely yeah. That's a fastball that. down the me? middle. Yeah, that's leaving them the crumbs, but the big crumbs essentially is what he's doing. In fact, uh, I, I think Paul and Howard both said, Charlie, we'd love to hear from you on Tuesday. So make <laughs> sure you get on the line and Actually, give them a call. tomorrow give them a ring. They, they're very interested in breaking down who should get the franchise tag and who should get the long-term extension. So yes. please, feast away on tomorrow's program. And also for, and also for Charlie, um, a lot of Andre Miller on the practice squad talk with them too. He's very, they're very excited to talk about him as well. Hey, Giant fans, join us back at MetLife Stadium next Sunday, November 20th, to watch the Giants take on the Detroit Lions. Limited tickets are available. Visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat today. Thanks for being with us. A fun show today on Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's good to be with Lance on a Monday. Thanks for being with us. Howard and Paul will take all your calls and everything that's not related to the regular season at 1230 (laughs) tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll see you then. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Dot com slash compatibility.